Welcome to Made in Science, the official podcast of the University of Stuttgart. My name is Wolfgang Koltkamp and I'm Senior Advisor on International Affairs. Today, our guest is Salma Margaret Abdelrahman from Cairo, Egypt. She earned her bachelor degree in architectural science at University College Dublin and also holds a Bachelor of Arts in Interior Design from Griffith College Dublin. In 2017, she graduated with a double degree from the University of Stuttgart and Einschams University Cairo in the Master Program Integrated Urbanism and Sustainable Design, IUSD. We are very happy to welcome you to our podcast. Salam. Salam, salam uh, to everyone in Stuttgart. I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for the invite. Until recently, you worked with Rice Egypt, an organization supporting development in Egypt. Please, can you tell us a little more about Rice Egypt? Uh, of course, um, until March, I'd been supporting Rise at different capacities um, over the last four years almost. Um, RISE stands for Realizing Innovation Through Social Entrepreneurship. Uh, it's a nonprofit um, to support organizations operating within the entrepreneurship ecosystem in Egypt. Um, I joined the team in 2018, um, and since then I've been mostly involved in the planning and the management of an initiative called LEAP for Collaborative Impact. LEAP spelled with a double E. <laughs> um, so maybe I can elaborate a little bit on that. Absolutely, please. All right. So most entrepreneurship support organizations run what we call startup accelerators and incubators. These depend on one-to-one -one mentoring of individual enterprises. But we noticed from our own experience running a two-year fellowship program that it takes a lot of effort and resources to really support a single enterprise or company, even though the challenges of everyone might be quite similar, um, which is kind of a shame, right? So only one entity benefits from the knowledge you're bringing. Um, we also notice a lot of times that support organizations, even though we're, in the, we're operating in the same ecosystem, they're offering similar programs. Um, and there are people who are just excluded from all of this because they don't live in big cities like Cairo, where you know all these big events and funding opportunities, uh, where you have access to networks and so on. So the idea behind LEAP was to kind of go beyond this one-to-one -one support model. Instead, the question became, can we build a whole community of social entrepreneurs and innovators that can support each other? There's already so much, you know, so many resources, so much knowledge available that can be shared if people had a platform where they can see each other and connect. That was the theory. So there are also professionals around the world who want and, and actually have invested a lot of their time and knowledge to help startups move forward. But could their knowledge have helped even more? Like, I don't know, tens or hundreds of startups if, if that was stored or shared on a platform somewhere. So yeah, uh, in 2020, we launched with a pilot community to put this theory to action. Um, and uh, last year, we launched an interactive innovation map of Egypt. It's on the website um, if, if you want, if you're interested. It's called leapforimpact.org. Um, there you can see who's doing what and where across, you know, across Egypt. Um, so I definitely encourage everyone to check it out. Um, and yeah, I have to say that all in all, the experience has opened my eyes uh, really to the world of social entrepreneurship. 
um, as well as community building, which uh, I didn't know so much about before. Is the term social entrepreneurs uh, limited to particular areas only, or is this a really wide term? No, no, it's a very wide term. Um, like all different sectors you have. I mean, even on our map, you can see all the sectors that we're mapping. So you have um, environment, education, healthcare, uh, in, um, inclusive services and technologies, you name it. Does this kind of um, business, social entrepreneurship attract rather the younger or older professionals or doesn't it matter? Well, I think that's very contextual. Um, I, I mean, I don't know how familiar everyone is with the term social entrepreneurship in the first place, but, um, but it is quite contextual and the term is relatively new. Um, I, think, I think it appeals perhaps to the younger generation because, because it helps them differentiate themselves from tr traditional businesses. Um, also, since there's more just awareness worldwide about things like, you know, buying locally, saving the planet and so on. Um, they know by calling themselves social entrepreneurs or marketing themselves as, as such that they will attract that kind of customer easier. There's also, of course, I mean, even social entrepreneurs themselves want to be social entrepreneurs, um, I hope, <laughs> for, for the reason that they themselves are more aware, you know, of, uh, of running a good, good business. Um, But honestly, in general, I don't think it's necessarily because they are the only ones who are, in fact, running impactful businesses. I think there's one very discreet reason that we don't consider, but a lot of fundings and support, or, um, like support opportunities that are available, they put an age limit as a precondition for support. So, you know, you don't get uh, this amount of funding or you don't get access to this accelerator uh, or incubator program if you're above 30 years old or 35 years old, right? So that could be a factor. Um, but yeah, I don't, have, I don't really have statistics. I'm sure there are so many older professionals who, who've accumulated just experience and knowledge over the years, and they do decide to run impact-driven businesses at a later age. They just don't necessarily call themselves um, social entrepreneurs. Now, if we take a closer look uh, away from the overarching social aspects, um, perhaps you can tell us about your experience Uh, in connecting the social and the architecture? So when we talk about architecture, we're really referring to, um, to, to the built environment, but also the connection of architecture with, with our general environment. Um, so the built environment is where the social happens, right? As a container of people's behavior. And it can be affected by, you know, spaciousness, whether it's a place or a building or um, a neighborhood is kind of, you know, more public or private. Does it provide a sense of safety or not? And then it's the connection of architecture with, with our general environment as, you know, open public spaces and nature, um, be it green spaces or water or just desert. And all of that, these elements contribute to people's well-being. Um, and they add visual, ecological, and emotional quality and value to the built space. So I'm kind of just giving a background before kind of talking about my own experience. But, but yeah, I think um, I think that architecture plays um, plays a huge role in people's you know perception of the world and therefore also their social behavior. 
Um, we spend so much of our time in buildings, you know, workspaces and homes, and also the spaces in between. So what we design definitely has the ability to um, to enhance our day-to-day life or, you know, just make it miserable. <laughs> um, my dad's a diplomat. We've lived and traveled to different countries in Europe and Africa. Uh, in Asia, we lived in India. I lived in Germany for 10 years. So these are all very different contexts with very different ways of life, you know, city vibes, um, access and exposure to, to open and green spaces. Oh my goodness, and noise levels. I'm not sure if you're hearing the noise here, <laughs> but I'm living in Cairo at the moment. And there are some days where I think I will just have a mental breakdown because of how loud and packed Cairo is. Um, you know, just so, ma- so many buildings and shops and cars. Um, if you decide to take public transportation, you know, just prepare to be hugged by by strangers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this reminds me. Uh, this reminds me actually of an interesting book by uh, Edward Hall. I don't know if you know him. Uh, he's an anthropologist, um, and he wrote a book called The Hidden Dimension. So he does these studies on on animals to show the relation between how human behavior is is influenced by the environment. And he actually uses architecture to illustrate how cultural perceptions of space um, affect people's social behavior. So interestingly enough, uh, one thing that was, uh, you know, just popped popped out were the notions of distance and proximity, as well as, you know, the, like the environment that I mentioned earlier, you know, such as climate or weather or whatever. So he noted that how close distances, as well as higher temperature, um, they caused more stress and aggression. And since you're asking me about my own experience, <laughs> I can certainly back this up. Um, so yeah, at the end of the day, I, planning and architecture is a management of space. Um, proximity is just one of these dimensions. So you know, human to human, nature to human. Um, so so yeah, I mean, what Hall tries to to, to demonstrate is that proximity as a spatial dimension, for example, has a strong impact on humans and dictates how they behave. To share some of these experiences, you have founded a platform for urbanists together with a former fellow student of yours, Dorothee Estrada. It is called NIU, the Network of Interdisciplinary Urbanists. Can you tell us about the goals of this platform? Okay, yes, of course. Um, Dory, uh, Dory and I did set up, um, I mean, it was a very long process. Uh, and um, where we are today is, uh, is actually in the process of setting a new uh, NIU uh, uh, or registering it. Um, so, uh, so, that's very, uh, so that's very cool. But there has been, I mean, I don't know if, if I can get into the goals before explaining kind of the reason <laughs> why um, why we did it. But if I were to answer your question very simply, is that um, we found there, there were a lot of gaps um, and we found that um, we kind of needed a network and a community that um, provides kind of professional and academic guidance um, to students and alumni once they are out of um, out of the IUSD program, uh, people were also looking at you know for emotional support, um, and we uh, 
we thought that this would, you know, the network would be something that that can bring that, uh, but also generate kind of collaborative opportunities. I mean, we're such we were such a diverse group um, at IUSD, different backgrounds, different um, professions, and uh, and yeah, we we wanted to build on that. Such networks often center around alumni in a particular area, but you're extending it to the international uh, dimension, I assume. Uh, what are the challenges to make this bigger than uh, a regular network? All right. Um, so actually, maybe let me reflect as well on my experience um, in general, even with RISE. So around the same time that Dory and I were just starting our journey, I was also working on the Leap for Impact initiative, which I mentioned um, earlier. Um, and we just launched our pilot community of local innovators based in Egypt um, and you know, supported and connected to professionals from around the world. So the challenges, I suppose, of building kind of both communities were quite similar. Um, I guess the biggest one on my mind right now is that you've got to have the right infrastructure to make it sustainable. So the technology on one hand, um, but also the team or human resources on the other hand, um, those who will just support with continuous outreach, organize activities, have online or offline spaces for people to meet and exchange ideas, you know, all of that. Um, in terms of technology, we set up an online platform for new, uh, niu-network.org. Um, and you'll see one of our favorite features on the homepage. So it's a map showing where all our members are located. I mean, of course, the public view only shows numbers if, if a member has updated their profile with their location. It's optional, but it's something we encourage um, to make it easier for people to connect. Often when we talk about cities and uh, how they change and get ready for uh, the challenges of the future, especially concerning environment and uh, climate, they give themselves particular target goals uh, and also slogans like being a climate neutral city by the year so-and-so. How important do you think are these um, objectives that cities come up with, the slogans they come up with uh, to really achieve and something new and something different and something better? I mean, slogans catch on. So in terms of, you know, just encouraging, exciting people. Uh, obviously, in this day and age, everyone's using social media and hashtags and stuff. So I think um, I think in that sense, uh, you're able to, to kind of mainstream uh, certain uh, certain goals, you know, like the SDGs. I mean, a lot of people are still have no clue what, what those are. Um, but more and more of the public will catch on if if they're, you know, shared obviously consistently or if, uh, you know, obviously governments are on board and there's like uh, campaigns, like bigger campaigns. Um, so, so, yeah. Obviously, urbanism has been on your mind for some time already. Uh, I would assume not only when you started uh, studying uh, in the program IUSD. When you organized your mindset uh, on what to study as a teenager, How soon and perhaps why did urbanism come up? <laughs> well, I'm definitely fascinated by cities, uh, to say the least. Um, 
how they operate, how they bring people from different backgrounds. Um, I mean, I mentioned already my dad's a diplomat, so so we've just been living and hopping from one city to another, like since I was born. Um, it's it's where a lot of action happens, and I guess I loved that as a kid and as a teenager. Um, but also, my grandfather is a, was an architect. Uh, may he rest in peace. So, uh, so I guess it was also fate. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, when I started, I mean, I studied architecture uh, in Dublin, and I started applying for jobs. Um, but I felt at some point also that most offices were interested in the more superficial kind of architecture. Um, it was trendy back then, you know, to land projects in cities like Dubai and Abu Dhabi. Um, so I found myself shifting towards interior design because I felt that was where I could have just more control in designing better spaces for people. Um, I think after a few years, I, I still wasn't quite satisfied. Interior design still caters for a certain segment of society that can afford it as a service. Uh, so I started kind of reassessing my, my choices and um, and then by chance, um, I had a friend who was studying at IUSD. So I went to visit her. I attended a couple of sessions, a site visit, and kind of the holistic approach to designing cities and projects um, really intrigued me. And I felt that's kind of what I was looking for um, the whole time and where I, would, where I would be able to eventually find purpose in my work. That purpose even extends to um, the project that you talked about earlier, namely uh, the network of interdisciplinary urbanists. I think perhaps that um, already at the end of your studies, when you received a grant from the DAAD uh, for an event called What's Next, that could have been a stepping stone uh, for what you are doing now. Am I right in assuming that? Yeah, definitely. Um We received a grant from DAD to launch an online uh, career seminar in October 2021. Um, COVID had hit. Uh, it left a lot of students and fresh graduates feeling super disconnected and lost. Um, networking, you know, finding a job. It was already a challenge before the pandemic. So, uh, so we felt that having that kind of seminar would be really valuable. Um, We mainly wanted to, to be able to activate the strength of this international IUSD alumni community. We wanted to support our members in those, in those challenging times of the pandemic. Um, so, uh, so, yeah, just set in. Oh, what's the word? Um, so applying for that grant and, and doing the seminar, I think it was a unique opportunity for, for networking and connecting students and fresh grads to to already, you know, alumni who are well-established. Um, we brought in field experts and academics um, from around Germany and um, from other parts of the world uh, to share career guidance and stuff. Um, and then in, in what, like what happens actually in the process of preparing for that event, we realized that, that this network that we're, you know, shaping could support um, and be enriched by alumni from other programs uh, beyond IUSD. So we decided to officially announce uh, NEW as an independent network. And uh, yeah, that's what's, uh, that's our focus now. And when you see the network, the new one, the N 
IU network, when you see that emerging now, um, are there particular topics uh, taking shape in that network that you think, okay, uh, people are, colleagues are, friends are in your field uh, in particular drawn to that? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, we realize that, you know, the practical workshops and and just the spaces that we created for knowledge sharing during the event were really successful. So, so at the moment, our leadership team and some members, they are busy preparing, um, preparing a few workshops and classes related to career development, um, you know, like job searching, um, proposal writing, and so on. Um, so yeah, that's kind of what's, what's happening in the background and soon, soon to be announced. <laughs> mm -hmm. In a extension of what you are doing, um, and perhaps even coming back to your starting point as well, uh, your concern has also been about the level of education in society. Um, education and city planning could be two topics that go closely together. And as you say, the networking also offers programs uh, along the way. So um, how actually do education and city planning work together? Uh, what levels uh, come into play here? So just maybe to give, uh, to give the listeners um, a bit of background, my colleague um, Manuel and I were, were asked um, to research the link between education and social cohesion in Sri Lanka and present some recommendations to, to GIZ working on a project there. So, um, so yeah, that's where kind of uh, education took a focus uh, during that competition um, in 2016. Um, I think education, of course, is very important um, and not just the formal education. I, I believe in, um, in education for, for building one, one's own character uh, through exposure to other cultures, exchanging knowledge, um, Uh, on you know ways of solving urban challenges in other contexts, that's really where diversity is uh, is so valuable. Um, it just expands how we see the world, and it opens doors for collaboration opportunities, and just a lot of you know just the needed creativity, I guess, to keep up with all, with our growing cities. Um, so I don't know. A good way to answer your question maybe is to look around and see the kind of new projects. Uh, being built in the last 20 years, for example. What we see in cities like Cairo is, is a perpetuation of the same mistakes and architecture styles and models that have been repeated over and over. To me, this kind of indicates a crisis. Um, I think universities need to question the planning models that are being taught. Um, and it seems to me that there is just a failure to kind of contextualize architecture and city planning. Um, I think architects and developers should be aware of the international uh, discourse, like what's happening in other countries and other contexts, but still being able to find solutions to city problems that are suitable and efficient in the local context where they will be implemented. I would imagine that um, the impact of the CO2 emissions and uh, on, the, on the building in sector and uh, from the concrete industry is something that most people are aware of these days. And yet you say 
that a um, lot of uh, architectural plans and city planning um, has not come to the point where that turn is made to uh, improve the situation, if I understood you correctly. If that is the case, what do you expect of the next 20 years in the field of architecture, city planning, um, and uh, perhaps uh, the use of materials, uh, of new materials, which here at the University of Stuttgart play a very big role in uh, the Faculty of Architecture and in the teaching and in the research. Uh, where do you see chances of implementation for that? Well, maybe first of all, because you mentioned, uh, you know, just new materials and um, or new like, sustainable materials. Um, there is, of course, Dr. Hane Dahi, and I, I saw that you uh, you had her as a guest on your podcast. Um, and, you know, I'm just following kind of her project updates and the work she's doing at the university. And for me, that's super inspiring. Um, I just love it. I love her work. Um, and I love how through her classes, the a whole new generation of students will get exposure and maybe courage to experiment with new materials and not just accept what's available in the market. Um, and I think that's that's failing uh, really in a lot of uh, in a lot of uh, countries and and uh, universities. Um, but I think in general, just like anything uh, that needs to be mainstreamed, it takes time. Um, I think we're already seeing innovation happening. Um, there are pioneer countries, you know, like Austria. Uh, they're leading in straw bale construction. Switzerland, they're building skyscrapers from wood. Uh, in Asia, they're using bamboo as an alternative to steel. I mean, we're even seeing bricks made of recycled plastic. So I think, like, yeah, the innovation is there. Um, I don't want to sound kind of pessimistic, <laughs> but... Um, our problem in countries like Egypt is that it's it's not really in the interest of developers and contractors. Um, there's there's also a stigma from the citizen or the client who is driving the real estate market, um, and you know part of city planning is obviously the architecture. So um, so yeah, they they just look at you know these materials or alternative materials maybe as being cheap or they're not luxurious enough. I don't know. Um, because, you know, just like many other countries and civilizations, we, we do have old sustainable construction techniques already, right? Um, that could have been used, could have been adapted to modern life. But, uh, yeah, we're slowly also kind of losing the know-how uh, since there's no demand for it. Um, and I think that, yeah, many architects don't realize they have they have a responsibility to, to innovate in the use of, um, of sustainable materials. And your network may help to implement uh, this idea even further. And uh, let's hope that hope it's moving in that direction. <laughs> I definitely hope so. I mean, we have really marvelous. I've, I've met so many, uh, so many great uh, professionals um, while I was studying at IUSD from our intake and other intakes, and just bringing all this these wonderful minds um, together. Um, but also, like I said, you know, the network is also growing beyond IUSD and, um, and so many other double degree programs are also, um, we have alumni from, from their programs. So I, I definitely hope that, uh, 
that we can uh, that we can work together. And one of the things that we were stressing on with Leap um, actually is the idea that complex development challenges and city challenges um, really require this kind of interdisciplinarity um, to move forward and to find good solutions, yeah. Now we are coming to the end of our conversation and um, we have collected seven questions that we would like to ask you to answer as shortly as possible. We have called this section Moment 7. So here come the seven moments with your short answers. Moment one. Spätzle or Maultaschen? Spätzle. Moment two. One thing you could change about the world. Have people not start or countries not start wars? Moment three. Do you have a book or a music or a movie recommendation for us? The Hidden Dimension. <laughs> yeah, you had mentioned that before, right? We have that in the program. Moment four. The best advice you have ever received? Uh, just to, to have patience and, um, and go through you know, the, the ups and downs of life with, with a positive attitude. Moment five. The, your favorite place on the campus at the University of Stuttgart is? Uh, the garden <laughs> next to the K-11 building. <laughs> Moment six. If you could start all over again, you would like to do the following differently. I wouldn't do anything differently. I don't regret. I don't, I don't have regrets. And moment seven. Please complete the following sentence. Thanks to my studies, I know that... That there is so much I don't know. Um, and, and being open to trying new things and trusting my my gut um, can lead to wonderful opportunities and meeting amazing people. Thank you so much for our conversation today. Most of all, wishing you all the very best for your future work and, of course, for your networking. Thank you, thank you. And I hope everyone gets to, uh, to check out our website, niu-network.org. And if, you know, If it resonates with you, we'd love to have you on board. And to our audience, stay healthy, stay good, and most of all, stay tuned for our conversations that are always based on what is made in science.